Let's go to Acts chapter 10 tonight, would you please? At that song in mind, I believe very fitting for Acts chapter 10. God used a vessel to bring a man, Cornelius, to Christ. And that vessel that God used was a man named Peter. God had to prepare him, had to make him a vessel. He was not initially a willing vessel, but God kept working in his life and changing and molding him, molding him and fashioning him. And thank God, God does the same in our life if we allow him to. Acts chapter 10 tonight. Let's begin reading in verse number 27. We've already covered the first half of the chapter here. The longest chapter in the book of Acts. It's certainly one of the most significant in the sense that it's transitioning to Gentile missions and going worldwide with the gospel. So Acts chapter 10, verse 27, it says, And as he talked with him, as Peter talked with him, Cornelius, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know that how, I'm sorry, you know how that it is unlawful, an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. Gainsaying there would, would be without any objections. As soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore for what intent you sent me. You sent, have sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And in the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said Cornelius thy prayer is heard. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call thither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. They were quite the ready audience, weren't they? As you see there, verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick or the living there, the quick and, the, and dead. To him give all the prophets... Witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished 
as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as, as we? Peter asked. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. God's open door policy, and we're looking at the second part of this, part two. The first part was God's leadership in world evangelism. And now we come to uh, what we could consider here the second part, man's responsibility, your responsibility, my responsibility in evangelizing the world. But thank God for God's open door uh, to salvation. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get right into the message tonight. The salvation of Cornelius and those who were gathered in the house of Cornelius was not the result of the strategic planning of the church. It wasn't the missions committee that got together. It wasn't the pastoral staff that got together and said, how can we begin to reach Gentiles? But rather, it was God who took initiative to put Peter in the right place at the right time. And at the same exact time, isn't this wonderful, that God was working in Peter's life and at the same exact time he was working in Cornelius' life. But that's God. He's able to do that. He puts these things together. And so God uh, led Peter and the gospel came to the Gentiles because Peter followed God's leadership. And last time we were together in, in uh, the book of Acts, we considered this. Who's waiting on you to follow God's leadership? That they might hear the gospel. No doubt there's someone that's waiting for you to follow God's leadership that they too might hear the gospel. You know, a lot of times we think about uh, God's leadership and we think about it in terms of of uh, things such as this, what am I going to do with my life and where am I going to live or who am I supposed to marry? And all those, listen, you need God's leadership on those things. Those most certainly are worthy of your prayer and seeking God's face and you need God's leadership about that. But you know, many times we think about God's leadership and we think about it in terms of how God might bless our lives and use our life. But you know, God's, God's leadership is bigger than just our lives. His leadership has everything to do with the fact that God wants people to be saved. And so his leadership is involved in leading you and leading me and leading us as a church so that others could be saved. We pray for God's leadership, we, and we ought to, but let's not lose sight of the fact that the reason we need God's leadership is so that more people can hear the gospel. Yep. And so uh, God's leadership is focused on that. I love 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 where it says, Who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God would have all men to be saved. We, this morning in Sunday school, covered, Blessed is, <coughs> pardon me, the man whom thou choosest. And thank God for the choosing and thank God for the election. But I'm thankful that God has chosen to save any who would come to him by faith. And that God doesn't have a group of people on the earth that he has chosen to save and a group that he's chosen to, to send to hell. That's not how God works. God has chosen to save any who would come to him by faith. And thus, we believe that, that any who would and desire be saved, they hear the gospel, that they can be saved. And that's, that's a blessing from God. He would have all men to be saved. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And the Bible over and over again, it emphasizes whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord or whosoever believeth in him shall be saved. So it's very clear that the gospel is for everybody. And thus you really can't, as someone said, you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. Yep. 
And in the midst of all that, while it is God who is, who is uh, reconciling the world unto himself, he has chosen to use us. He has chosen to use us in that process. And we have responsibility in the midst of it all. In fact, uh, Brother Carson, who preached last week, my home pastor, I heard him say several times, there is a human element in the midst of it all. In other words, there, yes, God is doing all these great things, but God uses people like you and me to accomplish his great work. Curtis Hudson said this, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost people. This generation of Christians are, is responsible for this generation of the lost. And so, uh, church, I believe we need to take that, that responsibility personally. And we need to see that this is, this is our generation. This is our opportunity to reach the world for Christ. We are the generation that is here now that is, has been entrusted with the gospel. Let us not be lulled to sleep by that fact, but rather let's be energized and challenged by that fact that this is our opportunity to reach this generation with the gospel. William Carey had a desire to reach the lost of India and and really the world, but God put on his heart India. He shared that with his fellow Baptist preachers, and they said, Mr. Carey, sit down. As he had uh, stood to speak that day, they told him to sit down, that when God chooses to save the heathen, he will do so without your help or mine. Well, that was so far from the truth, because God desires to save the heathen, but he has chosen to do so through other believers like you and me that will take the gospel. And so they believed, obviously, in, in a strong form of Calvinism, and as, as many know it or as it's been labeled, and, and so that hindered them from going with the gospel. But the truth is, is that God has made us responsible. In fact, the Bible says in Luke uh, chapter number uh, 19 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the whole reason why Jesus came is because of people and like you and me to be saved. And then he said this in John chapter 20 and verse number 21, that as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So that means that you and I are here to do one thing just like he did, to seek and to save the lost and bring glory to God by doing that. So we are in, in Christ's stead, as Paul said. We are in his stead reconciling the world to God. We are trying to, to do just that. So let me ask you this tonight. Are you carrying out your responsibility in world evangelism just like what Jesus did? Are you carrying out your responsibility in world evangelism just like Jesus did? Well, that's quite a question, isn't it? But as the Father sent him, so he has sent us. And so we are to be that involved in evangelism and, and trying to win the world uh, to Christ and to evangelize. And by evangelize, I mean this not necessarily that they would be saved, but that they'd be given the opportunity to be saved by having heard the gospel. And thus to evangelize, in this sense, to preach the gospel, to make it known, to broadcast the gospel. And as we've mentioned before, there's many times that we're more concerned about our cell phone coverage than what we are about the gospel coverage. You know, we get in certain places in the city or certain places in the, in the state, and you get concerned because you don't have more than two bars. Well, listen, uh, we need to be more concerned about whether or not people that live in this region of our state or this region of our sta uh, nation or in this region of the world, whether they even have any access to the gospel at all. Yeah. Yeah. 
But Bob Williams just came back from Sri Lanka and they had a, a prayer meeting uh, for the 1040 window. And the reason that about, tw- I believe he's told us in our admissions committee meeting just a moment ago that about 26 individuals from, from uh, around Asia, different missionaries from the Philippines and, and from uh, different areas there in, in that area, they came together and they prayed that God might help the gospel to go further in that area that is, that is so needy of the gospel. God has chosen to evangelize lost through those who have been saved. He's chosen to evangelize the lost through those who have been saved. Have you been saved tonight? Are you saved? Then you're chosen by God to evangelize the world. That's all of our responsibility. So let's consider Peter's responsibility or the way that he took responsibility. And I believe it'll help us here tonight. Number one, I want to, I want you to consider this. You and I are responsible to view people the way God views people. We are responsible. You are responsible to view people the way God views people. Peter looked through a very Jewish lens. He was looking through life as a Jew, and that meant separation from the Gentiles. God called him at a time he was hungry. That's usually when you can talk to somebody, especially a Baptist preacher, right? You got his attention now, and so he was hungry. And God caused that, that sheet that had the four corners there to come down, and it had all manner of, of animals and, and beasts that were there, and it listed some of the categories that they were in, and they were unclean animals for the Jews. And God told him to rise and eat. And he said, Lord, I've never eaten any of these things being a devout and faithful Jew. I've never eaten any of these things. And God said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Rise and eat. And he had to tell him that three times. But Peter got it and he, he uh, got the message and was not sure exactly what all that that meant. But about the time that he was pondering and wondering what all this meant, uh, uh, men came to the door and asked if he was Peter. And it was men who had been sent by Cornelius, Cornelius being a Roman centurion and a Gentile. God had worked in his heart and told him to send for Peter and that Peter would come and preach unto them what he needed to know. But Peter was at a place just like what we are many times as we look at people through lens that doesn't match what God, how he views them. You see, we see people by the race. We view people by the color of their skin. We view people and categorize them according to their wealth. We categorize people according to their strength. Man, that's a strong guy or that's a strong individual there. We look at their strength. Or we might look at their beauty or their, well, this person is handsome, this one is not. This one's beautiful, this one is not. We put them in categories like that. This one's popular. This one is not. This one has a great education. This one does not. And you know what we do? We tend to look for people that are just like us. We try to, we gravitate towards people who are just like us because that's who we feel most comfortable with. But Peter says this in verse number 34, if you look at it again, of a truth, I perceive that God is what? No respecter of persons. God is not judging whether he's going to help and deal with an individual based on what their financial status is, what the color of their skin is, and on and on, all the various categories that we put on them may go. Listen, God, that, that mentality doesn't work with God. We're, we're to view people just as people, all people, in the same exact way, showing them any, having a lack of partiality. We're not to have any partiality towards them. You know, that can happen intentionally. Somebody might avoid somebody because of the color of their skin. 
or, or because of the features of their face or because of, of some disability that they may have or, or they may keep their distance because of just an obvi- obvious differences that's between them. But God doesn't work that way. And some people may do that, though, intentionally. But, you know, it may even happen even unintentionally that it may take place. You know, there's ministries that are focused on one certain group in our day and time. Have you seen a, a signs for a cowboy church? A cowboy church? Oh, I think in many ways, uh, folks that uh, do that maybe are well-meaning. They're trying to reach out to cowboys this past uh, week at Silver State. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a Western-style camp, and so I had an opportunity to preach in some Western clothes. And I love wearing Western clothes anyways. You may not know that, but I do, and enjoyed uh Wearing boots and jeans and, and Western shirts and such as that. And I don't know if you're surprised or not, but uh, in any case, I, I enjoy it, you know. But is there, is there to be in the mind and plan of God? Are we supposed to start a cowboy church as a ministry of Southwest Baptist Church? I know a bunch of people in here who would vote for that and be glad for it, no doubt. That's all right. But is that what God has in mind? Well, really, when you stop and think about it, okay, cowboy church... Who can come there? People with belt buckles <laughs> and big ones. You have to have a certain size belt buckle to be able to get in. You know, that one might, might be, you see, I don't, again, I don't think it's intentional that they're just excluding others. But when you say cowboy church, well, if you're not a cowboy, you can't get in. I'm just a wannabe, you know, or pretend to be at times. See, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the mind of God. It's, it's, listen, it's not cowboy church and city slicker church. It's not black church and white church. You get it? No, it's not at all that. I'm thankful we've, we've had several people coming from all kinds of nationalities, uh, especially on Sunday mornings. Man, that's fantastic. I'm loving it, you know, and I, I think God loves that. And because it's not, this is not a white church. See, no, and and that's not in the mind of God to have a white church and black church and and a Asian church and a, and all these things. And I realize there's there's different challenges among all those, and and we're different cultures in a lot of different ways. But listen, really, in the mind and the eyes of God, He's not a respected person, and all people are really in need of the same thing. They all need Jesus Christ. And so that's what brings us all, all together in the first place. It's not the color of their skin, so it's not a black church or white church or a contemporary church. You see, I mean, these are terms that are getting thrown around today. This is our contemporary service. So if you're not with that, you're not with it, then don't come to this one, come to this other one. You see how, we're, how I'm just talking about in, in, by and large in our society, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of people mixed up about this. Listen, here, here's the word that's in the Bible, church. Church, a called out assembly of people from all different types of backgrounds. So it's not a rich church and a poor church. It's just church. Church. It's not a universal church. In fact, to say local church is actually redundant because, because church is local. You have to gather together. And we have fellowship. And fellowship is different than socializing. You socialize about sports, and you socialize about hunting, and you socialize about shopping, and you socialize about cars and food and other things like that. But fellowship, though Baptists define it as potluck, fellowship, 
is actually defined as we share Jesus Christ in common. That's what brings us together. So we technically have fellowship when we talk together about him. And we fellowship about him. And we focus on him in a church service. And we sing about his glory and his grace. And we, and we encourage one another. And we praise his name. We're having fellowship at that point. Does that make sense? Yep. So we can socialize about a lot of things. But fellowship takes place around the Lord. And Peter says, you know, I've learned something in the last few days here. That God is no respecter of persons. And I'm not supposed to call unclean what he has called clean. And so I know that it's not normal, Peter speaking. I know it's not customary that a Jew would be in the house of a Gentile. But God has taught me just to get over that. If you could let me just paraphrase here a little bit. He's told me just to get past that because God loves all people. In fact, you look in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says this, we are all of one blood. We are all of one blood. Everybody in here, we're all actually technically family. We're all technically family. We could all, if we could, we could all trace our roots back to one man and one woman, Adam and Eve. And thus we are all of one blood. And you might say, well, Brother Gaddis, how did they get to be Chinese people and Indian people and, and, and black people and white people? And how did, how did they get to be all this? Hey, we serve a creative God. We, we serve a creative God who, who can cause it to be such that, that as people are born, they look different. Do you know right now, we covered this back in Genesis, but that's been like three years ago when we were in Genesis chapter 10 and the nations of the earth, the 70 nations and such. Do you, do you realize that there's, there's a, there in our modern day and times that there's like a black couple who had a white baby? Huh? Some said, <laughs> What? No, you check it out and vice versa, it's there. Why? Because it's all just in the genes and whatever God wants to do. He's creative. Listen, God loves variety. Look around. He loves variety. There's all kinds of different people in here. Amen. All kinds of different likes, all kinds of different backgrounds and even languages. And, and Brother Louis, Louis just said amen there. He always greets me in Tagalog and says, Magandang Umaga or, or Gabi this evening, you know, and teaching me uh, the Filipino language. And I'm struggling with it, obviously, but I love to try that. You know, I mean, God has brought all kinds of people here. Yep. It's a great thing. It's Christ-like. To reach out to people who are different than you. Do you have that mentality? If you're going to fulfill your responsibility, you've got to have that mentality. It's got to be, it's got to be the mentality of our whole church that says, you know, we, we want to welcome people here. Okay, let, let's, uh, let's define that. Let's define welcome. Welcome doesn't just mean saying hello to them and moving on. Okay, that's a good start. But a, a better route would be this, to welcome them that way, but then also to stop and talk to them for a little while. Get to know them. Help them to feel welcome. Help them to make sure they have somebody that they can sit with. Spend a little bit of time with them. You know, I believe if, if they come here and they say, you know, this church, it doesn't just have the facade of being friendly. But it's really friendly. They'll come back. They'll come back. Now, if they just get the idea that we're just putting on an act here, then they'll say, well, this is no different than anywhere else. I'll find another place. You know, in a church this size, 
It's very easy to happen. It's very easy to happen. And, and uh, I have a letter sometime that I want to read to you about another church, but just an example that I saw that, uh, that this individual said, you know, I'm a believer, but I came in and I was very rarely even greeted. And the individual said it's a large church. It was a large church that they were attending. And said, I'm a believer and I'll make it. I'll be okay. But if I were an unbeliever and I came into that atmosphere and I wasn't greeted and warmly greeted and people actually took a genuine interest in me, I'd probably not come back. Everybody catch that? They said, I'm a believer. So I'll, I'll work through that. But for an unbeliever who's just not in church at all, they probably won't come back. Well, you know, that ought to be eye-opening for us. And that's where we need to see, you know, it's, it is all of our responsibilities. And I know, you know, this is what happens. It happens with me. You tend to talk to just about 40 people. You know what I mean? Every one of us have just like a circle of 40 or so that we uh, interact with every week. And, and, you know, you have your friends that you see and you sit with and you're around them all the time. And that's great. And you need that. But don't forget about other people. There's a lot of them in here tonight that still need to, to know you and you need to know them. And, and just to have that as our, as our way of life. Because I, I believe we're seeing some people saved. We're seeing some people baptized. But what we've got to do is get them in here. Get them in here and get them in the mix and help them to, to feel a part and to get to be really involved in it. And obviously Sunday school is so very vital in that. And I want to encourage you as you're in your Sunday school classes that you take a real uh, proactive role in trying to befriend somebody and reach out to them. And, and that's happening. I, I've, I'm running into people that are doing this. So thank the Lord for that and keep it up. But, but people that are saying, you know, this family is like they just have adopted us. You know, in fact, what just one young couple that just recently joined, they said, you know, uh, so-and-so, this family here, they've had us over a couple times already, and they've been coming now for about two months, and they've just kind of adopted us. You know what they're saying? We feel like we belong here. That'll help them have roots. That'll help them to make it. And God cares about every young person and every, every uh, child that came today by way of the buses. God cares about every one of them. He knows every one of their names. And he has to do with them. And, and God cared about every guest that we had here this morning. He cares about every guest that we have here tonight. And God cares about members and non-members alike. And, and God, God wants us to be going somewhere together. And God is no respecter of persons. He loves you just as much as he loves the person down the pew from you. Yep. So if God is that way, shouldn't we be that way? That's what Peter taught. That's what Peter learned, rather. God is no respecter of persons. And so you gotta, if you're going to take responsibility in world evangelism the way that you're supposed to, you've got to view people the way that God views people. Number two, you ready? View people the way that God views people. Number two, this, view the truth the way that God views the truth. View the truth the way that God views the truth. Now, this is equally important. View people the way that God views people. But then number two, view the truth the way that God views the truth. See, while God is creative in the way that he created people, he's not creative with the truth. He does not allow creativity with the truth. He doesn't allow one person to believe just whatever they want to believe and think that that's okay. See, yeah. Look back, if you would, at uh, a verse here that Peter said in verse number 35. He said, God is in no respect of persons, verse 34. But verse 35 says this, but in every nation... He that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Now, wait a minute, stop. Don't misunderstand that verse. 
He's not saying that, that there's another way to be saved other than by grace through faith that a man could work righteousness and be accepted with God. That's not what he's saying at all. Obviously, Cornelius was a man who was a moral man, according to the text. He was a man who prayed. He was a man who was involved in, in religious things as best he knew how. But God didn't accept him on that basis. In fact, Cornelius had to be saved by calling on Jesus. He had to hear the gospel. Here's a very religious man who was lost still, but God was sending the gospel to him. So obviously, verse number 35 does not say that God accepts people in other terms. He does not. We must understand this. All people are created equal by God. All faiths are not equal. All faiths are not, faiths, you understand what I'm saying? All faiths are not created equal. Because you can't have one world religion that says this and another world religion that says this that is diabolically and completely opposed to what is being said there and they're saying opposite things. They can't both be true. We're living in a day and time of pluralistic society that's accepting of all people and all, all religions and all these things. And I believe we ought to have the freedom of, of religion within a country. But the freedom of religion does not mean that all religions are right. God doesn't look at it that way. He doesn't see all faiths as being equal. Listen, God did not accept Cornelius just because he was sincere. I believe he was a very sincere man, but that wasn't why God accepted him by salvation. God didn't leave him alone just because he was of a different culture. Boy, don't we hear that in our day and time. You know, we ought to leave folks alone that are in Catholicism or leave folks alone that are in Hinduism or in maybe Native American beliefs. Let's just leave them alone because it's so much a part of their culture. Listen, culture does not supersede Scripture. Scripture supersedes culture. Jesus' authority is above all. And Jesus says all men must be saved by coming to him and no man coming to the Father but by him. So we've got to get past the world's rhetoric that says to you and I, you know, just leave people alone. That's just their culture. Wait a minute. If their culture teaches them that there's another way to salvation other than Jesus Christ, then their culture is wrong. And they must be confronted with the gospel. God did not accept Cornelius just because he was living a moral life. In many ways, I believe Cornelius was a, was a good man. He was a good person. He was not an idolater. He was a God-fearing person. He was not killing Christians like Paul was. He was not living the typical life of a Roman centurion. But God didn't accept him because he was morally decent. You know, there's a lot of people in this area who are quote-unquote good. I'm talking about, you know, that, what, what do we call it? The good old boy mentality. You know, a good person, a moral family and such. In fact, it's a shame that sometimes there's some people that don't know Christ that have higher morals than what a person that knows Christ does. Yeah. But God didn't accept him because he was trying to live a moral life. He still needed the gospel and God sent it to him through Peter. So let, let's, let's catch this again. Okay, so you're responsible to have the same view of people as what God does. You and I are responsible to have the same view of truth as what God does. And we must come to this firm conclusion that if someone does not hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. There is no plan B. 
So because of that then, when we take into account that God is no respecter of persons and I need to view people the exact same way that God does, and there's a lot of people in this world that are really different. There's even some people in this world that are highly obnoxious, but God still loves them. There are people that are extremely different than you. There are people that are, some people are talking to people right now and saying that he was talking about you right then. No, I didn't have that in mind. But there, there are people that are, that are just totally different. Listen, I just preached youth camp and, and about 300 teenagers there. Let me tell you, talking about different, all different kind of backgrounds. We had people from Texas and people from Colorado and people from, uh, from uh, other states kind of around there. I'm telling you, there's a lot of different kind of kids and, and all of them were quirky. They're, they're teens. <laughs> That's not the definition of teen being quirky, but some were. But you know what? I loved it. I love it because those teens are having an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad God made us all different. Wouldn't it be boring if we were all just the same? Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> So God made us all different. That's our creative God. Rejoice in that. But remember this. God loves every person equally. The person standing on, standing, uh, on um, well, not on I-40, hopefully, but the person standing there, you know, as you're getting on I-40 or I-44, listen, that person was created in the image of God. God cares just as much about them as he does us. A little boy that came in this morning that, that um, maybe was causing a ruckus in class. God loves him just as much as he does us here tonight. Let's see people the way that God sees people. Let's see the truth the way that God sees the truth. And that brings us to this. Number three, you're responsible, therefore, to clearly present the gospel. Because we're to view people the way that God views people, and we're to view the truth the way that God views the truth, that brings us to this. You are clearly, you are to clearly present the gospel. That's what Peter did. And he went through it. We're not going to cover all the things that he said, but here's what we need to do tonight. We must clearly present Jesus as the only way to peace. We must clearly present Jesus. I like this. It's in parentheses, but I believe it's like the central idea of, of Peter's sermon. He is Lord of all Jew and Gentile. He is Lord of all. Listen, here, here's the idea. If he's Lord of all, that means all can be saved. He's Lord of all. He's overall all need to be saved and all can be saved. Clearly present Jesus as the Lord of all. Clearly present him as the one who is anointed of the Holy Ghost. And that healed those that were there that day and time. Clearly present the fact that he was crucified, not for sins that he had done, but that he was crucified for our sin. Clearly present the fact that he was raised to life again on the third day and never tire of telling people that he rose again and that he appeared unto the witnesses that were there. And then it's been passed down from generation to generation and we have it recorded in the word of God. And there's more reason, more manuscripts and more evidence to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is any other historical figure in any, any other historical situation. That's our faith. Present him, as the Bible says here, as the judge the judge of the living, judge of the dead, 
Listen, there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will judge all men. Therefore, all men need salvation. Well, Peter didn't even get to the invitation. He didn't even get to tell them uh, what page number they were going to sing for the invitation. Not that he was going to have a song sung, but he didn't even get down to where he was going to invite them to trust Christ. Next thing he knows, they've already retrusted him. You know, that's all right if God interrupts our services. If God, it's all right if God, in fact, God probably needs to interrupt our services along the way. God interrupted their service that day and saved, the Cornel, saved Cornelius and saved others that were there. And the next thing you know, then, then there's evidence that they are. Listen, this is a very special situation because there were Gentiles that were receiving the Holy Ghost for salvation, just like the Jews did. And as a, as a visible token or evidence of that, they spoke, the Bible says, here in tongues, just as they did in Acts chapter 2, which was known languages at that time. And so thus it was at this time. And there was on outward evidence that not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles have believed. And the Jews that were present there, they were astonished and couldn't believe. Look, the Gentiles have been saved just like we have. And Peter said, can any forbid water that these should not be baptized? Can any forbid water that these should be baptized? And the obvious answer was absolutely not. They've already been saved. They ought to be baptized. Can I stop right there and say that that gives evidence that salvation and baptism are two separate things. These individuals had already been saved. They'd already received the Spirit. It's totally separate from their baptism. So really, we don't need to let anybody tell us that you have to be baptized in order to be saved or that baptism is a part of your believing. It's totally separate. They were saved and then they were baptized. And then they desired, I believe what the last part of verse 48 is saying, as they desired them to stay for a while, there was an immediate hunger to learn more, to grow spiritually. God's open door. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I wonder how long that's going to last. I wonder how much time we have left to try to broadcast the gospel. The thing is, of course, we don't know. But while we have time, I believe God is doing his part in leading us. The big question is this tonight. Are we really, really, truly doing our part in trying to follow his leadership? To view people the way that God views people, to view the truth the way that God views the truth, and thus to make it the priority of our life to seek and to save that which was lost by way of presenting the gospel. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? We have guests here tonight, some. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Has there been a day and time, a time and place, you may not be able to remember the actual date, but is there a day that you look back and you say, you know, I know that I heard the gospel at this time, By the way, Cornelius didn't have to understand everything. He just simply had to understand he was a sinner, that Jesus died in his place, he rose again, and that was his only hope for salvation, and he called upon the Lord, and the Lord saved him. I don't have to understand everything. Listen, Cornelius did not need a dissertation about Old Testament history. He needed to hear the gospel. Maybe there's a time when you heard the gospel and you accepted it by faith that that was God's plan of salvation. God's plan of salvation is simple. Man makes complicated what God has made simple. 
Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you have not trusted Christ, then God invites you to be saved and to be saved tonight. Just because you're a church member doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you've been saved. But have you been forgiven of your sin through the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting Him and Him alone? And then this, if you are saved, how seriously, how seriously are you taking your responsibility in evangelism? Are you viewing people the way that God views people? Are you uh, praying for people to be saved? Are you praying for God to open up doors for you to share the gospel? Do you view the truth the way that God views the truth or have other thoughts come in or maybe it's just become commonplace? Do you view the truth the way that God views the truth? And thus leads to this question. Are you clearly presenting the gospel? Because really that's all that we are required by God to do is present the gospel. Praying, all those things involved. Present the gospel and watch this. Let God do the rest. Present the gospel and let God do the rest. That's what God did in Cornelius' life. This past week, I was rather surprised as I asked, how many of you, if you died tonight, this is Monday night of camp. How many of you have died tonight, you don't know for sure you'd die and go to heaven? I'm telling you, a bunch of hands went up. I'm not used to that at church camp. But this camp had a lot of unchurched teens in it. Every morning we had a men's prayer meeting, and they, some of the pastors and youth pastors mentioned about pray for this team and call them by name, and this one and this one, they're not saved. I'm praying for them that they might be saved. Well, throughout the week, I believe we had about 8 to 10 who came to Christ during the services. But then I left on um, Friday uh, uh, right after the lunch and preached that morning. And uh, Brother Joe Miser uh, was sharing with me this morning. In fact, he told me last week, he said, you need to stay for Friday night. They have a testimony service. So we've got to get back. And, and so in any case, he caught me this morning and said, Brother Jason, did you hear about the testimony service? I said, no, I, I hadn't heard anything. And... 15, 14, 14 saved on Friday night. Just on Friday night. Well, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, man, I should have got out of the way a lot sooner. <laughs> That's great. 14 young people called on Christ. Here it is. Present the gospel. And let's just trust God to do the rest. Some might say, well, I don't know if all of them were legitimately saved or not. Well, look, you know, that's really between them and God. All we're required to do is just preach the gospel. Get it out there and let God work on the heart. Let the Holy Spirit bring conviction. Let Him make them aware of their sin and, and, and lack of righteousness. And let Him convict them that there's a judgment coming, that they're going to have to stand before the judge of the quick and the dead someday, the Lord Jesus Christ. And let God work on their heart. And I believe we'll see some saved. And we have. And I thank God for that. And see more saved. That'd be wonderful. Be wonderful. Are we taking our responsibility seriously? Let's stand together tonight. <laughs> Is there anyone here tonight that say, Preacher, it may be that you've been attending here for a good while. It may be that you're a first-time guest. Is there anybody that would raise your hand and say, If I died tonight and I stood before God, I would not be considered innocent. I, I'm yet in my sin. I have not been saved. I don't, I don't know for sure that I'd die and go to heaven. 
Is anybody like that tonight where every head is bowed and eyes closed? Is there anyone that say, pray for me, preacher? I don't, I don't have that assurance, but I am concerned about it. Anybody like that? I'm looking around here tonight. I'm not seeing any hands, but there might be one. Okay, let me ask this then to the saved. How many would raise your hand and say, Brother Gaddis, um, we've been going through this book of Acts, and we've been hearing a lot about evangelism and the importance of it. God's been speaking to my heart. Would you pray for me? Because I haven't been taking my responsibility in evangelism the way that I should, but I know I need to. Would you raise your hand? Is that you? Father, tonight, please help us. We, for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus, Lord, for what you are wanting to do, your leadership in our life, oh God, we want to be open to you. Allow you to speak to hearts and guide us in the way that you want us to go. Lord, I know there's people that are waiting to hear the gospel, and there are people who visited today that are waiting in many ways, hoping to be a part of the church, that they might feel a part, and some of them are not saved, and they may even be very mixed up about their thinking of salvation. Seems to be the case quite often, and certainly they're not hearing truth out there in just the general public in the world, in many ways, even in the religious world. So God, we have a task here that you've given us that is much larger than what we can do. We ask for your help. For every hand raised, I pray, God, that you might open up a door for them to invite somebody to church or to share the gospel with someone. Please, God, help us to do that. Help us to see it more clearly. I I know that, that you love people. You love us. You saved us. You used somebody to bring us to Christ. Now, we pray that you'd help us to have eyes to see the multitudes like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.